Thank you. Remain standing just for a moment. Let me check you out, man. Oh, yeah. Your pastor said that he had the most incredible, coolest congregation. He's right. And uh, what a great pleasure for me to be here. Although I've been shopping at the Woodlands Mall, and I just feel like when I go there, I'm going to your church. I'm always like, there's pastor everywhere just smiling at me. And I just love it. It's like, come on, I'm right here. But uh, it is a great joy to be with you today. Thank you so much. And like uh, Pastor said, um, I oversee and work with about a thousand churches, Jeannie and I. And uh, so I always, it's that awkward moment when I'm introduced and everybody's wanting to hear their pastor and then they introduce me. It's like, oh, it's like, okay. But uh, look, I'm on a mission today and you're going to get some help. Here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to talk today about reconciliation. I'm going to talk about how to have confidence between you and God and how to have peace with God and with yourself and with your enemies. And when this service is over, I'm going to release a prayer, uh, a prayer that God gave me about two or three weeks ago from Ezekiel. And when I pray it, uh, there's going to be a release of supernatural healing that's going to come. And you're just going to feel it. And... It's going to be quite dramatic inside what will happen. And when you walk out of here today, there's going to be some things that are never going to face you again. And you're never going to be dealing with some stuff that you've been dealing with. And you'll never forget this message. And when we're in heaven a thousand years from now, you're going to look at me and go. (laughs) Now, Jesus, do it. Let every heart that's here today receive the promise of reconciliation in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated. Wow, what a great crowd too. And look, their son. I feel like I'm in California. Yeah, so I'm going to talk to you today about reconciliation, the missing piece. Reconciliation, it's a powerful word. In fact, if if someone was to say to me, uh, what is the Bible all about? What is this whole thing about Christianity? What is the whole connection between God and man? And if I had to condense it down to one word, reconciliation. If somebody said, uh, can you take the Bible from the beginning of the garden in Genesis to the garden in Revelation and had to squeeze it all into one word, what would you say the Bible could be condensed to one word? Reconciliation. It's what it's all about. It is the hinge of which our faith swings on. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is a word we often use. It's a word we use like reconcile our bank account. Hmm, how many's done that recently? Or not? But reconciliation is more than let's make things right. It, it really even goes deeper. It, it means to make peace. And actually... Reconciliation in the Bible is used about five or six times, but in the passage I'm going to give you today, it, it, it goes deeper. It's looking for more than reconciling two people, having a fight, checkbook, out of balance. It really goes for the deepest meaning of the word. It actually comes from a political word. It doesn't draw from the Old Testament typologies of, of lambs and sacrifices and so on. It draws from the political arena as in a dispute between nations. In other words, there is no higher 
uh, need for reconciliation than disputes between nations, wars. So this is a pretty heavy word. So when we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about God saying, I'm making peace. And so today as we talk about this, I want you to think about making peace with God. You and God at peace. We're good. God and I, we're good. And then talk about looking inside and saying, you know what? I'm good. I'm good right here. I'm I'm at peace with myself. See, often our reflection of how we feel inside uh, is spilled out to others. And lastly, I'm at peace with others, particularly your enemies. You know, your enemies reveal really what's in a me. In other words, what you hate about other people, what other people get to you, and you're like, ah, I can't stand that, usually are things that are tucked away in denial that is exposed in your enemies. There's some people, you can't be my enemies because I don't know you that well. You don't have enough of me in you. So essentially, I'm right with God, I'm right inside, and I express that peace by the way I deal with my enemies and deal with the brokenness. Imagine today, if I could take you on a walk through your life through the analogy of a graveyard, like bones all over the place, representing relationships and disappointments and things that haven't always gone right. A graveyard where you could say, this is where that dream died. Oh, over here, this is when that ended. And you could walk through your life and someone say, wow, a lot of brokenness there. A lot of need for reconciliation. Now, I love the woodlands. I, I, I actually live right on the border of spring and woodlands. When I'm trying to be humble, I say, I live in spring. <laughs> when I'm trying to be impressive, I say, I live in woodlands. <laughs> And and Jeannie and I pastored for 30 years in Orange County, right by uh, Disneyland, Newport Beach, and actually Irvine companies, much like Woodlands, very prestigious, very put together, you know. And one of the things I had to learn quickly in Orange County is that everybody looks so good. Everybody's just got it together. Everybody's just, boom, two and a half, 2.2 kids and got it all together. But I recognized after being there for so long that we did very well at covering our pain. In fact, if you got a decent job and, and got a decent education, economics and, edu- and, and economics can cover a lot of pain. But today I'm going to sneak past all of those little buffers and I'm going to get right there in your heart and I'm going to gently bring you to a place of reconciliation, the missing piece. Now first, let's really get a good grip of this thing about being right with God. Being reconciled to God. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians, our 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, and read this verse in the message version. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We look at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside and we see that if anyone is united with the Messiah, they get a fresh start is created new. The old life is gone. A new life is now exploding. Look at it. This all comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him. Look at that. Settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationship 
with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. For speaking for Christ himself now, become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could put right be put right with God. Look at that scripture. This is the key. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. Now, this is the scripture of which everything hangs on right here, not only in this sermon, but upon the whole ideal of what it means to be a Christian, that God put on Christ our sins. Now, I'm going to quote it from the New King James Version, and it goes like this. God, who became sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. I'm going to say it again. Watch this. So that he, watch this. This is very key. He who knew no sin, he who knew no sin. Let's act like we're in a class, and and I'll have you repeat that. Very good. Became sin. He became sin so that we who knew no righteousness could be made righteous. Now, this is important. It's important to understand that Jesus never sinned. He never sinned. He never one time tempted, yeah. Tempted. In fact, the Bible says he was tempted in all points of sin like us. In fact, more than us. Because how many know that when you give in to temptation, you, actually does, you don't actually know the full impact of temptation? Okay, does that make sense? How about this? Let's say I say, I'm not going to eat a Freddy's double bacon cheeseburger with concrete vanilla Oreo cookies. Let's say I'm not going to do that all day. All right? And then I go there, and I sit there all day long, and I watch you guys come in and eat the double cheeseburger with bacon and those crispy, you know, the buns, the, the meat crispy on the edge and the skinny fries, and then the, oh, yeah, and I watch you do that all day. At the end of the day, I'm so tempted, I, so much pressure, I finally give in. Having given in, I have not been tempted to the full potential. So Jesus was tempted beyond us because we ultimately took a bite of the bacon cheeseburger. So having been tempted with every sin, he committed no sin. But watch this, watch this. He committed no sin, but he became sin. What's the difference? Didn't do it, but I became it. And it worked. When he took on sin as a condition, as a position, God was repulsed by it. And soon we'll celebrate Easter in a couple weeks. And when Christ got on that cross, though he never committed sin, 
he became sin and God looked at him and saw adultery and fornication and perversion and lie and theft and manipulation and every evil deed imaginable and it repulsed God and he turned and Jesus felt it and he said, why have you forsaken me? The man who committed no sin had now become sin. This is crucial because you must understand that God does not look at sin the way you and I look at sin. You and I look at sin as an event. You and I look at sin as something that we do. You and I look at sin as a deed done. Thus we feel bad. We add up the score of all the things we've done bad and then we try to figure out how to make it right with God. But God does not judge us by our deeds. Sin to Him is not an action. Sin to Him is a condition. This is going to work if I can get this out. And as long as you think God is judging you by your deeds, then you're going to be playing catch-up all of your life. You will not be able to witness to people. You won't be bringing anybody to Easter Sunday with you. You won't be able to stack up a long line of people that you can reconcile to God because you'll be battling with your own stuff. But if I can convince you that he who knew no sin became sin so that we who know no righteousness can become righteous without connecting the dots of our own activity and deeds. Yeah, very weak. That was a PGA clap. And he makes the putt. No, I'm going to say it again, and this time I want an NFL Super Bowl. Texas and our, Texans are in the Super Bowl, all right? And, and, and get ready to spike your Bible. No, I'm just teasing, okay? No, but are you hearing me? Get this in your mind. This is so important. I can't get you where I need to get you in 10 minutes until you buy into this. And that is that God says, I will not be holding you accountable to your actions. I will not be judging you according to your deeds. I'm not looking at your sins as events that transpire in your life. I see sin as a condition. And if you will accept Jesus Christ, then without a deed, you will become the righteousness of Christ Jesus without anything you've done on your own. This is so important. This is the word. I've come to tell you, you are reconciled. But preacher, you don't know I still got some bad habits. You are reconciled. But preacher, I haven't figured out how to get rid of this one thing that I do. You are reconciled. But what am I going to do with this stuff that I do? God does not judge you by your deeds. He judges you by your position. And though your position, which is right standing with God, and here's your practice, the way you're actually living, God does not judge you based upon your practice. He judges you based upon your position. That's why when you mess up, you don't come to God. God, I'm so sorry for what I did. Because when you do, you don't know me that well. 
And I'm going to say some shocking things. Your pastor will spend the next couple months straightening me out. (laughs) But listen to a slight virus that snuck into us through the ideal of religion. When you take your sin personal, you're insulting the cross. The Bible says once and for all, he has made a sacrifice for all sins. And when you choose to get on the cross for a few hours after you have sinned, you are mocking the cross. You are saying, get off the cross and put me on there at least a couple hours because I need to feel bad for what I did as if Jesus' cross and his sacrifice was not enough. I know that's harsh, but I'm trying to get my point across. Are you Get off that cross. Jesus died once and for all. He's not looking for a piece of your flesh to pay back for what you've done. No, no, no. He's already done the separation. It's not what you did. It's what he did. It's not what you do. It's who you are that God says we are. I'm yelling, aren't I? I'm yelling. (laughs) My wife is looking at me. You're yelling. I'm not mad. I'm trying to get my point across. I got 17 seconds and 44. 17 minutes and 44 seconds. 41 seconds. Hurry. Reconcile to God. If you ever embrace your position... And refuse to bow to your practice. Your practice will ultimately begin to match your position. You see, you mustn't allow. See, there's a lot of teaching on grace right now. Oh, thank God. But you must learn this about grace. You must not tinker with grace. You must not toy with grace. Grace and the law, for those of you that are pretty religious... The law worked this way. Do this, do that. The law demands but gives you neither feet nor hands. A better song grace does sing. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Like that. Law says do this, do that. But gives you no power to do it. So you are constantly under the slavery of the law. And if you messed up in one point, you were guilty of all. Paul was blameless concerning the law. By that time, there was like 637 laws. And he said, I'm blameless, except when he said, I'm blameless. Because when he said, I'm blameless, he just became guilty of all. Because pride is one of the things you're not supposed to have. So in the law, you could do everything perfect. And if you messed up in one, you were guilty of all. Can I tell you, it's the same thing with grace. It's either all grace... Or it's nothing. Don't use grace like a Band-Aid and an aspirin. Because religion will seduce you into thinking that you can do this. You got this. I got this. I'm paying my tithes. I'm going to church every Sunday. I don't curse. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do this. I don't do that. You got your list, whatever it is. We all have ours. And we're exchanging what we think, and we got it all together. This is it. This is. I got. I got this, man. I got this thing. Religion down. I got it. And then you stumble and fall and make a mistake, and now you feel the shame that how dare I have done such a stupid, sinful thing, and now shame seduces you in to feeling bad, and you think feeling bad is what God wants you to feel because naughty you. 
And when you do, whenever you allow shame to talk to you about your failures, you have just took the hook that guarantees you'll be back doing it again. Because shame cannot transform your behavior. Getting quiet in here. I think they want their pastor back. (laughs) I got to help you. No, you cannot allow yourself to be drawn into that. It's all grace. Like the guy that was praying, God, I haven't cussed today. I haven't run anybody off the road. I haven't yelled at my wife. I haven't had any murderous or theft thoughts. But in a moment or two, I'll be getting out of bed. And I'm going to need your help. You need to stay in your character constantly. And know that whenever you slip and fail, God never wavers. You see, God lives in past, present, and future all the time. They coexist with God. God lives in past, present, and future all the time. So when he forgave you of your sins, he forgave you of your sins past. It's non-negotiable. It's done. Get in your position. Be thou reconciled to God. And hold on to that reconciliation until it bleeds through your own soul. Until you can be at peace with yourself. It's amazing how many Christians are at war with themselves. Somebody asked James one time, uh, Jesus' half-brother, where did war come from? Where wars come from? Why is there so much war? James says, it all starts right here. People are at war in their self, and that war is fueled at the kitchen table with their wife, with their kids, with their boss, with their nations, with the world. It all starts right here. You need to be at peace right here. You need to feel peace, that you are at peace with God and that you are at peace with yourself. Ephesians tells us, and I'm going to move quick, quick through this because of time, but Ephesians says that through the work of the cross that God has torn down the middle wall of partition. Would you say with me, the middle wall? See, the middle wall, first of all, I'll explain it theologically. It's a bit boring, but go with me just for a moment because it's important. First of all, you must understand that Jesus came through the flesh of the Jewish nation. He called Abraham, right? Called him to be the father of many nations. He then made a covenant with him through circumcision. And then thus came Judaism, the religion of the law, right? Are you tracking me so far? All right, in that, it was all based on law. So it was all based on do this, do that. And Abraham was the father of that. And then the law came and all of these things came. And there was a wall of partition between those that knew God because they were Jewish and they followed Judaism and the rest of us that did not have access to God. And Jesus Christ came and when he did, he took the old and he took the new and he made one and he torn down the middle wall of partition so that there would be no wall. And this is a little hint that you should maybe once in a while help yourself, encourage yourself because some Christians are so torn, they don't know whether or not we're supposed to love ourselves or hate ourselves. You ever felt that way? You go to church one Sunday and you hear him say, man, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew you before you were born. God has good plans for you. And you're like, yeah. And the next week, crucify the flesh, for in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. Die. 
die daily. Oh, God, yes. And you don't know whether to read a Watchman Nee book or, or, you know, a Tony Robbins book. I mean, you're just, boom, you're just like, I don't know. You know, it's like the old song, you know, torn between two lovers, feeling like a fool. I love me. I love me not. I love me. I love me not. Loving both of you is breaking all the rules. And that's what Jesus did. He broke all the rules. And he made from one, two, to become one. We're no longer at war. The flesh often refers to the religion. When Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, he was saying, in my religion of works dwelleth no good thing. Don't tell me that there's no good thing in this right here. I have the Holy Spirit. How dare you say, I have no good thing in here. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you very much. You too. No. So Christians are in a war constantly with themselves. Battling with their own. Reconciled with God. Reconciled with themselves. Be at peace, beloved. Be at peace. Don't beat yourself up. Be at peace. Don't be hard on yourself. Don't look in the mirror and say, look at me. Do not allow yourself to be at war. Because hate starts here. War starts here. Turmoil starts here. And when you are reconciled to God, you are reconciled with yourself. Now you can prove it because you are now a reconciler. You are now someone that can say, I've been forgiven. I can forgive. You know being forgiven is incredible, right? Do you know how good it feels to know that God has wiped away all of your sins, past, present, and future? And that when you go to him and you say, hey, God, how are we doing today? And the devil tries to remind you, how are we doing? Let's talk about it. You're like, hey, he's not looking at my actions. He's looking at my position. That's why he said, come boldly in the time of trouble, because God is looking at me through there, through my position. And when you have that sense of peace, when you have that sense that you're okay, there's only one thing greater than being forgiven, and that is being one who offers forgiveness. You think being forgiveness is good, you ought to see what it feels like when somebody hurts you, damages you, takes advantage of you, lies against you, does all matter of hurt against you, and God gives you the courage to say, I, who have been reconciled, am reconciled, and now I, on behalf of God, as though Christ is pleading with me, you be reconciled. Because when you're at peace with God and you're peace in your heart, you can make peace with your enemies. And let me just tell you this right here. Watch very carefully because this is an important point. I'm turning the corner and about to prophesy something that will change your life forever. Trust me. It will change your life forever. But you see, if I preach this message properly, then you are to leave here today with an understanding that vertically you and God are covered. You and God are clean. You and God are reconciled, period. That's it. He will be judging you from this day forward on the position that you have in Christ Jesus. That's how he judges you right there. 
Now when it comes to the horizontal relationships you have, now that's another story. We now have to do the same thing. We've got to work that out. Interesting verse, Hebrews 12, 14. I'll try to go there real quick, see if they'll throw that on the screen. This is very powerful. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Look at that. Watch me. I'm about to blow your mind. Are you ready? Here we go. Ready? Righteousness vertically comes by faith. Holiness is horizontal, and it comes through relationships. It's as you work peace with your relationships you come into holiness. It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with your ability to make peace. It goes on, and I didn't give them the scripture, but it goes on, and it says, be careful that you don't allow yourself to be defiled by bitterness. For the root of bitterness will choke you and defile you and many. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Forgiveness has an expiration date. And if you don't know how to do it quickly, it turns into bitterness. Once forgive, unforgiveness has turned into bitterness, it is now out of your hands. You know, and people will get up here and say, yeah, you were molested. Yeah, you were lied. Yeah, your retirement funds were taken and ripped off by a guy that said he was going to make you a lot of money. And now you have all this pain. You had a period to forgive, but you didn't because you were so broken. You were so hurt. This was so damaging to you. You just held on to it. Now it's too long. Now the forgiveness has expired, and now you're bitter. And now the bitter is now your roots. In fact, the Lord showed me when I was uh, uh, driving to Lakewood Wednesday night. He said, some of my people, the only way they live is through the root system of bitterness. That's what keeps them going. That's why they're successful in business. That's why they are making it. They're literally being energized from a root of bitterness that at some point will defile and then a preacher gets up here and says, you should forgive. Let it go. And I don't want to mock anybody, but I'm going to tell you something. There comes a point when you can't let it go because it has you. And it doesn't work. Let it go. Let it go. And there's something inside of you that says, it ain't yours to let go of. I got this, and I'm going to choke the life out of you. And that's when a preacher like me comes, looks you right in the heart and says, today I prophesy to you, be thou reconciled with God, with yourself, and even with those who have hurt you. For you are ministers of reconciliation. This is where God helps you to understand that sometimes forgiveness doesn't come from you. It comes through you. Even Jesus on the cross looked at the very people of whom I healed your withered hand. I opened your blind eye. I raised your son from the dead. And here they were screaming, pulling at his beard, spitting at him, mocking him. Father, 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 forgive them. I can't, Father, forgive them through me because I can't find it in me. 
God will do today because it's time for you to be reconciled. So Ezekiel, in closing, 37, walks among a valley of dry bones, and that's where we're going in our last two minutes. He walks among dry bones, and he sees broken hearts. He sees scattered dreams. He sees wounded hearts and wrecked relationships. He sees anxiety and stress and pain. He sees it covered up pretty well because we're woodland people, you know. But he sees the valley of dry bones. He knows that one day there'll be something that will break open inside of you and you'll spin out and do something so different and weird and people will say, what happened? Because them bones have stacked because the graves on your dreams have covered But today God has sent me to say to you, the hand of the Lord came upon me, brought me out of the spirit and set me down in the midst of Celebration Church. It was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by all around them. He said, behold, look, many in the open valley and indeed they are very dry. And he said to me, Phil, can these bones live again? I said, God, I don't know. I don't know. And he said, oh, yeah, they will. You prophesy to them. And you say to them, oh, dry bones, you hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will put ligaments and muscles on you and I will bring flesh back on you. And I will cover the shame and the openness and the skin and I will put breath in you and you shall live. You'll know. That I am the Lord, your God. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And I do. I prophesied. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise over here. And then there was suddenly a rattling over here. And bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the muscles and the flesh came together. And the skin covered them over. But there was no breath in them. And he said to me, Phil, prophesy, prophesy, say to the breath, come, four winds, O oh breath, breathe on the slain dreams, breathe on the slain relationships that they may reconcile. And I did. So I prophesied as he had commanded, and breath came upon them, and they lived, and they stood up on their feet like an exceedingly great army and they stood on their feet like an exceedingly great army and he said Phil these bones are the whole house of Israel for they indeed have been saying our bones are dry our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off therefore prophesy and say behold my people I will open your dreams I will open what you have lost I will reconcile your years and I will cause that to come up from your grave and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened up your graves, O my people, and brought you up from my grave, from your graves. Would you lift your hands with me right now? Holy Spirit, there is a grace on this place, a grace that resonates the sound, you are reconciled to God. There is a grace 
in this place that says, come to peace from both above and from within. And there is a grace in this place that says, I am reconciled. I am a reconciler. I am forgiven. I will forgive. The Bible says the last thing you'll do before promotion, it was told of Jesus. Jesus, when you make your enemies your footstool, you will be exalted. Friends, I'm saying to you, make peace. For God is about to enter into this church a season of restoration and of healing. I saw in your brochure last night, this is a place of healing. This is a place of miracles. And so shall it be even this day. In the name of Jesus, I prophesy. I prophesy. I prophesy. God is picking back the pieces. God is causing the dead to rise again from their grave. God has brought peace in your heart. Be thou reconciled. Amen. Thank you for the honor to preach to you today in Jesus' name.